Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to UFOs Above Canada, a nighttime podcast series exploring the people, the events, and the concepts that surround the Canadian UFO experience. Welcome back to UFOs Above Canada. In tonight's episode, I'm going to be joined by UFO writer and researcher Chris Rutkowski for a discussion surrounding one of Canada's many UFO secrets. But this isn't one of those secrets that anyone's trying to keep. It's actually quite the opposite. I'm sure the town of St. Paul, Alberta would love to have the world know about their unique contribution to Canada's UFO story. Many Canadians may be unaware that back in 1967, the mayor of St. Paul, Alberta decided to have the world's first UFO landing pad built. And the monolithic concrete structure still stands there today, waiting for its first arrival. So let's get to it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, Chris Rutkowski and I will discuss the fascinating story of St. Paul, Alberta's UFO landing pad. Are we alone? Or is there life out there? For the town of St. Paul, Alberta, there was never any debate. Why else would they construct the world's first UFO landing pad? The flat round structure, complete with a welcome sign, was deemed visitor ready on June 3rd, 1967 as part of Canada's 100th birthday celebrations. National Minister of Defense Paul Hellyer flew in to cut the ribbon. Since then, it's been visited by Queen Elizabeth in 1978, Mother Teresa in 1982, and thousands of tourists. But not aliens that we know of. Chris Rutkowski, how are you doing tonight? Very well, Jordan. I should say, this has been a very tough interview to schedule. I don't know if there's anyone who travels the country as much as you do. What have you, what have you been doing over the last few weeks, and why have you been so hard to track down? Yeah, it's been busy. I've been, uh, I, I was uh, off in Calgary filming a, a show for uh, uh, APTN. Uh, I was just off on a tour with Atlas Obscura, uh, looking at uh, paranormal locations uh, and UFO hotspots. It's uh, it's been busy. It has been busy, and yeah. the summer's just starting too. So. Yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, you have a book that was just released. Last time you were on the show, you were talking about uh, about the release of the book. But what is uh, what's happened? How's it doing? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how it's doing so <laughs> far, um, but I, I've had a lot of uh, positive response. Um, I uh, uh, I've had emails from people. Uh, there's been one review so far, and that's that was very positive. Good. And looking forward to more. We're hope, hoping to have some sort of release signing party. I don't know, something coming up in July, but I, I, I don't know about that yet. But uh, yeah. something's going to come up. Well, that's cool. And you're probably already hard at work on your new one, new book. I've already got a few things working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and before we get into our topic tonight, uh, we, you mentioned like it's, it's, you've been busy the last few weeks, summer's just starting. Now that the pandemic is kind of allowing people to gather in large groups, do you have any big events or anything over the summer UFO-wise that you're looking forward to? UFO festivals, conventions? Uh, UFO festivals. Well, I can tell you that um, 
a festival I did not go to, which was the uh, uh, Scientific Congress on Ufology, the, the big one down in uh, at, uh, Alabama that a lot of people had gone to. I'm part of the SCU. And uh, I heard that uh, uh, about a dozen people came back from that with COVID. So oh, man. I'm actually glad that I didn't go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's even though things are opening up, I've heard things are uh, are still uh, still a problem out there. So uh, in in a way, it's good that we're uh, we're still kind of cloistered. But uh, uh, I know that um, June the twenty fourth and twenty fifth in Brazil uh, is the uh, Brazilian Scientific UFO Conference, oh, and I gave a presentation or recorded a presentation for that. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be available on, on their website eventually. All the, a lot of people, it's at truly international. So I'm, I'm the only Canadian. That's pretty cool. Uh, one, one bit of UFO, Canadian UFO news. I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this. As I read that Roswell, New Mexico, um, they're, they're building like a UFO-themed walk of fame, and I think one of the first um people that will be commemorated in this ufo walk of fame is a canadian well i guess a half canadian was stanton friedman right um that's a that's a good connection between canada and a major you know ufo at least ufo place i don't know if it's uh mm. it, it, today I, I don't know how discussed roswell is in the great scheme of things it seems like kind of the ufo discussion has um long moves past Roswell, but it's cool to see, you know, especially here on the East coast of Canada, where I am to think that, uh, you know, uh, someone from this part of the world is uh, being commemorated in that way. Absolutely. And, you know, Stan was a big part of the Roswell uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's quite interesting that, uh, you know, the first person one of, among the first persons to, to be commemorated in that regard uh, is a Canadian. Uh, in fact, going back to the Brazilian thing, that's actually the topic of my, uh, presentation to brazil is uh, the uh, influence of canada on ufology oh really and i, I mentioned uh, stan quite a bit as a matter of fact that's cool. um so it is true there's a you know canada has actually been really at the leading edge of ufology um all along and uh, uh you know we we sort of uh, get downplayed a little bit uh, but uh, you know we a lot of ca canadian uh uh, individuals and uh, groups and so forth have been really doing some remarkable things all the way through ufology. Um, speaking of Canada's contribution to the UFO scene and maybe Canada's acceptance of it, uh, that, that kind of brings us to what I wanted to talk to you about tonight is I, I had heard several times the stories of there being a UFO landing pad in Alberta. I never really dug into what it is why it's there how it was built who built it and i and I, I guess i also didn't realize like how official it is as it was something that like you know the town built i just assumed it was something some wild person built in a field somewhere or something uh have you spent a lot of time you know reading or considering the ufo landing pad in saint paul alberta well i'm not sure if i spent a lot of time i've been out there a couple of times you did you stand um, on it I, I have stood on it, okay. yeah. Uh, um, the story is that back um, in 1967, mm -hmm. um, as a centennial project, um, you know, it's... a lot of places across Canada wanted to do something unique or something special. Mm -hmm. And because there were a lot of UFOs uh, that were in the news in 1967, um, there had been a couple of people in the small town of St. Paul who said, you know, let's do something about UFOs. So, uh, you know, maybe 
uh, construct something uh, different. And they came up with this idea of a landing pad. And they got municipal funds. Here's another case where, you know, um, you know, government, technically government funds went towards it. And um, this, this, you know, flat pad was built and um, uh, there were flags put on it and so forth. And uh, no less a, an individual than Paul Hellyer himself, who was at the time Minister of Defense, um, uh, opened the, uh, the, uh, the pad, uh, cut the ribbon and said a few words. Um, and uh, uh, then over the years, it kind of fell into disuse because the aliens, for some reason, weren't that impressed with it. Nobody <laughs> landed on it. Um, but then back, you know, the interest was renewed in the, uh, in the 80s and into the 90s. And um, Paul Council, you know, thought, you know, to reinvent the, the town and reinvigorate everything. Uh, let's do something with this pad. Let's let's upgrade it. Uh, maybe let's get some, uh, you know, UFO people, UFO experts to come and give a talk. So they actually held a, a UFO conference. Okay out there uh, it was me and stanton friedman and um uh, fern belzel who was a, a cattle mutilation researcher um and then a few other people uh, who gave presentations um at the conference center just right next door uh qfos uh, the center for ufo studies john timmerman a little bit later uh, john timmerman uh who worked for qfos um he would go across uh, North America with a traveling exhibit of UFOs and, and set them up in shopping malls and wow. and and so forth and places like that. Um, uh, QFOS agreed eventually to uh, set up their traveling exhibit permanently uh, in St. Paul and and created uh, St. Paul created this little museum right next door to the UFO landing pad and. Uh, uh, it, it sort of was recommemorated a few times. Mother mm -hmm. Teresa herself visited the UFO landing pad. Isn't that something? Um, and and while she was there, she actually said something to the effect of, you know, if there are sick people in space, we would go out and help them too. So, um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's it's had a lot of little little bits of attention. I think there was, there was they held the conference a couple of years in a row. Um, and uh, still to this day, nothing has ever landed there, unfortunately. No, but it, but the it whole is an town interesting got involved. The, the whole town got involved to the point where um, you could go to the pizza joint. And, of course, they had flying saucer pizzas that were out of this world. Naturally. Um, and uh, but it's like, you know, even like the uh, the hardware store, uh, big sign, you know, fix your spare parts for your flying saucers sold here. Um uh, you know, even the bank that there was all sorts of posters and murals because it was our own version of Roswell or mini Roswell up in the uh, north part of Alberta. And the problem with St. Paul is that it's far away. It's 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 hours away from even Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a little hard to get to. Mm -hmm. I would think that it was a little easier to get to. It would, it would easily be uh, as popular as Roswell, if not a little, perhaps a little bit more. Um, but uh um, you know, it still exists, and it's one of my uh, top 
UFO destinations in Canada uh, in, a, in a list that I posted on my blog. Yeah, I, I was impressed with the design of it. I, I'll, I'll give you a few figures because I was doing a bit of research on, mm-hmm. you know, when and how it was built and what it cost. Uh, at the time, again, in 1967, when they built it, it was $11,000 is what it cost them to build it. C- considering inflation, that is just under $100,000 right. today, which for a small town, that's a, that's a, a considerable investment. But Absolutely, I guess, yeah. But again, as you said, it's a Centennial Day um, event is what they did this for, which is Centennial Day is like the 50th anniversary of Canada or 100th Centennial, anniversary. Centennial, not 1867, 100 years. 100 year anniversary. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I apologize. But that that was uh, it's just an odd thing for them to choose to do to commemorate Canada's 100th birthday. They choose to build, a spend, a, you know, today's money, $100,000 to build a landing pad. It It weighs 130 tons of concrete. And the way they built it, like if you look at it now, it, it kind of looks like almost like if you took a band shell, if, if you know what that is, we have a band shell. We're in the town I'm from. It's almost like a band shell. But underneath the uh, circular platform, there's um, one kind of pillar made of concrete that is holding the whole thing up. And it's it's two and a half meters high. So it's a pretty good height. I don't know what that would be in feet, but it's a it's a bit off the ground. But the way they built it was... Um, what I had read and saw photos illustrating this is they they kept kind of the mound a mound of dirt and poured the concrete on top of it with the pillar kind of um, down into the dirt and once the concrete set they removed all the dirt they removed from the dirt oh cool that's yeah. kind of a smart way to do it yeah um, some other interesting points it was designed by the town's mayor uh, sorry the town's mayor's wife who right. was kind of like a a folk artist she's done it she did a lot of you know, like kind of if she was here on the East Coast, it'd be paintings of lighthouses and lobsters. She did like the Alberta version of that. Uh, and when the it was pitched to the mayor that we would do for the centennial, we're going to build a UFO landing pad. She's like, I'll design it, she sketched <laughs> it out. And that's what they came up with. But um, as far as a message, like when you build something like a UFO landing pad to commemorate Canada's 100th birthday, it just seems like how is that appropriate? Like I, I can understand the town maybe uh, being like you know this could be a tourist kind of thing, but I wonder what this would mean in turn in the context of commemorating the hundredth birthday of Canada. Well, I um, I actually spent some time talking with um, some of the uh, the townspeople when I was there, and it was more along the lines of Canada is very welcoming. Um, uh, mm-hmm. We're forging ahead, and uh, uh, at, at that time. Uh, in 1967, of course, we had just launched um, Alouette. I think Alouette came was in 1966, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So we were, there was a bit of a space race at the time, and the idea was that Canada was going to do its part to uh, to you know assist in the exploration and contact with with whatever is out there. So it kind of made sense in their own kind of way, you know. It, yeah, and kind of the uh, like the openness, acceptance. I, I can see that kind of having um, the the symbolism within that could kind of fit in with Canada, which is cool. And, and Canada, of course, is made of people coming from away, generally coming here. So a UFO landing pad, I guess, could fit into the broader you know theme of that. Saint Paul is Centennial Town, Canada, in all but name. Anyone without a project here isn't in, and the farther out the project is, the better. 
The town fathers set the pace by building a landing pad for unidentified flying objects. It turned out to be such a big tourist attraction that space sounds were piped in to add realism. So far, the only low-flying UFOs to be lured down are the paper variety popular with the kids. But the local citizens are sure that even the Martians won't be able to resist their Western hospitality for long. To make the expected celestial visitors feel at home, flying saucers have started to sprout in backyards. One businessman donated a bus called the Martian Express to take care of earthly transportation problems. Until the little green men arrive, it'll be used by senior citizens and local sports groups. Since the landing pad first put St. Paul on the map, everybody's got the centennial bug. 6,000 centennial toques have been made by a group of housewives and shipped all over the world. Local food merchants have prepared menus that include such out-of-this-world delicacies as Saturn salads. St. Paul is trying to represent Canada's centennial spirit in microcosm. That bell rings out for brotherhood on Earth and someday even for outer space, says Mayor Jules Van Brabant, and brotherhood is what we think the centennial is all about. Something that, that always bothers me is I feel like I missed the heyday of UFOs. All of the, the great kind of UFO flying saucer stories, it's always right around like the late 60s and into the 70s. There was just some kind of magic about that time and that era. When I think of 67, that was when Shag Harbor happened. Falcon yeah. Lake was 67. Yeah. They build the UFO landing pad in 67. There's, you know, a, a space race. So the idea of like landing on the moon and exploring space is just like a, a current event thing that's being discussed. When you look back, do you see that? And in, in like in all the stories you look at, do you see this as like the golden age, you know, like the late 60s? Uh, yeah, it's no question. A lot of stuff was happening about that same time. Wasn't uh, Man in His World uh, in Montreal? uh in 1967 as well the the big exhibition and they i think they had a uh a mock-up of the roswell uh uh alien uh the dummy uh in one of the exhibits uh in montreal so you know the, yeah you're right uh, everything seemed to be happening in 67 uh in the 60s of course this was in the middle of the cold war mm -hmm. and people were you know worried about the the russians and if it wasn't the russians then who knows what it was but you know, this is just the, the middle of uh, Apollo. Uh, 67 would have been Apollo. Um, let's see. Uh, the I, I guess 60, late, early 67 was probably the, the Apollo 1 tragedy mm -hmm. where three astronauts lost their lives on the launch pad. And then so Apollo 2. So I would say this was just in the middle of, you know, the, the space race, you know, where we're going to land a man on the moon, according to John F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's true. After that, you know, we got into all sorts of other diverse things. Uh, this was before, uh, this was just after, I guess, uh, Betty and Barney Hill's uh, abduction story uh, came out. And, uh, so, you know, since then into the 70s, we got into more technological stuff and, and uh, more and more landing, although uh, you know, the, the close encounters of the second kind, uh, the landing trace cases, they were really gone by the, the mid-1970s. Mm -hmm. uh, and ever since then, I you know, ufology has been in transition, not floundering necessarily, but it certainly has been going through some different phases. And uh, here we are more than 50 years later. And uh, I think people are like, uh, I agree with you. It, it's like, you know, we're trying to reclaim the glory days of ufology.
Mm -hmm. And and like the idea of a, like with the internet, it gives the ability of so many people to get together and discuss it, and the conversations never ending. But I just I find it doesn't have the magic of kind of the stuff that happened before. You described uh, earlier. You mentioned a guy who was going you know from city to city, setting up like this traveling UFO museum at a mall. That's the kind of stuff where I'm like that would be amazing to just stumble upon something like that would be so special where I find a lot of what happens now. It's, it's just hard to find magic in there's this crazy video on YouTube. You guys got to <laughs> yeah. see, you know, like, it's like, that's not the same as, you know, mall and small town dude with a bunch of photocopied fake, you know, government documents or maybe real. Um, but anyway, it's a, the, the UFO landing pad, I think is, is a cool Canadian, ufo story that a lot of people don't know and as it often happens when there's something kind of unique about a town and the town embraces it in a unique way like you described you know the ufo pizza and all that stuff um this town st paul certainly has has embraced it uh so i want to ask you is this an area that you've noticed any significant amount of ufo reports from like has the topic of ufos been accepted to the point that people are actually reporting it more than other places you know from this uh, area you, you mean uh, in 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 the area around saint paul yeah exactly like if you consider if you would compare saint paul or uh, among other s towns of similar size or would it stand out in any way as far as ufo reports or even comparing alberta to other provinces in that sure regard? Well, as a matter of fact, for a while it was because uh, as a genius part of the uh, reinventing of the, the St. Paul landing pad, when they were having the conferences, um, they actually installed a UFO hotline mm. for anyone to report UFOs. And it went directly to the municipal office. Yeah, this and, was something done by the this town's like Chamber of Commerce set up a 1-800-UFO yeah. hotline where they would take UFO reports. Absolutely. <laughs> and so they you were getting, we were in fact getting UFO reports, uh, um, you know, more than we should have for, um, for that period. I don't think it's still active, but um, I think you can actually go to the museum and, and file a report. I think you can, uh, they actually had a sort of a, a binder of all the UFO reports that had been reported there. Um uh, and so in terms of the numbers of UFOs in uh, reported over Alberta, I would have to say that Alberta does seem to have its more than fair share. Um, part of that is because of Cold Lake mm -hmm. um, and uh, the fact that there's uh, military bases uh, there where they're doing some testing of some you know, aircraft and so forth. There's a rumor that the cruise missile was tested in Cold Lake, that type of thing. Uh, so... You know there are some interesting cases that uh, that have occurred in in alberta probably a little bit more than should be uh, statistically with the population i'm mm -hmm. uh, not sure why but again it could be a, a number of things that uh, could have contributed to this mm -hmm. um to wrap this up i have uh, i have two ufo reports that came in and whenever i talk to you i like to uh, bounce you know current cases off you because you, you're you always have such um a logical way to describe what these people are seeing. Um, let me play, I'm gonna start with a voice memo. This was a recording a listener of the show sent me. Um, sadly, they didn't give their location, but th this is a Canadian report, so somewhere in Canada. I guess at the end, what we'll do is maybe we can try to guess based on their accent what part of the country okay. they're from. <laughs> so here we go, this is William. 
June 9th, uh, almost 4 p.m., 15.55 p.m., um, my son and I were sitting in our apartment looking southwest and we seen a big object in the sky. Turned out it was the Goodyear blimp, which is very unusual. It was flying very low, but very unusual. I've never, there's no reason for a blimp to be around here. As I was, I began to film with my iPhone and as I began to film, we seen a bright light, a bright object, very smaller than the blimp, but big enough to be noticeable, fly down from the clouds above, kind of circle the blimp, move around sporadically flying around it, and then kind of zapped out of the screen, like out of the shot, and just disappeared back into the clouds. Um, in the video, you have to like you have to zoom the video in to get a close up of the blimp while you're watching it, and then move it manually to see it all good. But it, there's a tree in the foreground, and it's and it's a good example or good way to judge the size and the speed of this thing because it stays between the blimp and the tree in the foreground as it does its thing. Uh, it was really weird. I'm not saying it was a UFO. I'm just saying I've never seen anything like this before. Even with the stills that I managed to take off the video, it was something very strange. So I don't know what it is, but um, I've never seen anything like it. Let's start with accent. I'm, I'm going with East Coast of Canada. Where do you think this guy's from? Yeah, I, it, it, could be, uh, it could be somewhere in Ontario, too, but... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, you know that's, that's a good guess as far as the, the accent goes. I, I went with the accent was pretty neutral, but he did say like I seen, and that is something people on the East Coast often will instead of like I had seen or I have seen, they'll say I okay. seen. So mm -hmm. I'm going with East Coast. But okay. as far as his report, the way I I understand that is on June 9th he looks out his window and he sees either a blimp or specifically the Goodyear blimp. Uh, it surprises him that it's there, so he films it. And I couldn't tell if it was him seeing this other object with his eye or him seeing this other object when he looks at the video yeah. that he filmed. I, I don't know what, what you got out of that, but ultimately he's saying there appears to be a blimp with another object kind of hovering around it and eventually going out of frame. Is that how you understood that? Yeah, yeah. And I, again, I agree. I don't know whether it was, he, he saw it visually or it was just on the video. Um uh, oddly enough, I think the Goodyear blimp was over Canada in early June, mm -hmm. um, uh, probably associated with the uh, Grand Prix in Montreal. Hmm. Um, so, I you know, again, I, and it probably would have flown from somewhere in the States to get here. Uh, so, uh, you know, that might 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 make some sense. Yeah. And as far as what he saw. Yeah, whether or not he's seeing it with his eye or just on the film makes a big difference. Because what what I was thinking is, as he's describing it, if he if he's seeing this in his video, it could very easily be a lens flare with like light bouncing off of the you know the surface of the the Goodyear blimp or something of that nature. But I guess with with something like this, without seeing the video and asking additional questions it's pretty hard to make any kind of judgment on it yeah and that's a problem because you know we get that with uh, photos too i mean people post on uh, ufos above canada the facebook group mm -hmm. you know i saw this amazing thing you know last night and uh, you know it was completely unlike anything i've ever seen and they don't give any details yeah but it's but it's something where it's it's well i i shouldn't say it's hard to it's hard to describe it's hard to describe it clearly but you can at least describe it vaguely yeah uh in in some way um 
I just did a search for Goodyear Blimp Canada um, schedule, and it does appear that the Goodyear Blimp was in Canada during that period of time. So him mm-hmm. seeing the Blimp, I guess, isn't the the question though. It's like what this other object. But was it, but it could narrow down where it happened though. If we yes, get, uh, the track. A, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I got one more. This this next one isn't a, a voice. It was a it was a text uh, that was sent a text report and this was sent through the ufos above canada group as well on facebook so this is from daniel the date of the sighting was the 19th of june so four days ago Um, the location is in quebec at a place called chemin rapid sept i don't know if that means c-h-e-m-i-n new word r-a-p-i-d dash sept i've never heard of this place but what he sees at 2 27 a.m an oval opening resembling an expanding cloud formation with an object that was bright white heading towards the east that emerged from the opening. The light had a diamond-shaped mist behind it that didn't dissipate, and another orangish orb that intercepted it from the south and seemed to follow this glow. The orange object corrected its course and headed northeast along with the white orb that had the diamond mist behind it. There also was a white streak that was coming from beyond the horizon to where the objects were heading. After losing sight of the lights for about a minute, I told my uncle and girlfriend what I was seeing. I proceeded to observe once more as the whitish glow of the mist was fading was fading into the it was fading and the orange orb branched off towards the eastern horizon and headed south. And that was the end of the sighting. So I, I just want to say, first of all, you just talked about uh, people not giving enough information in their sighting. This person gives a, a lot of information, <laughs> but I'm still like, what the heck? Yeah. It's, it's so hard to describe when, because if you see something in the sky and it's, it's you know, it's a light that's, you know, um, that's mingling in and amongst the clouds, it's very hard to describe it in writing in a way that somebody in their mind can picture it when i hear his sighting i have a very hard time understanding what he's seen i'm picturing him describing something between a sunset and just the kind of natural flow of clouds happening at the same time yeah you know and that's typical of what witnesses uh, are struggling with they, they they're having trouble putting it the words something that is beyond their purview that they have never seen before and then trying to explain to somebody else what they've seen and you really are literally at a loss for words. And that makes it really, really difficult because we all have different interpretations, you know, uh, uh, that people will say something was uh, uh, um, an orb, for example. Well, what mm-hmm. does that mean? It was round. Um, but uh, some might mean that uh, to interpret as a, uh, as a sphere. Some are, are like circular. Um, and, you know, a disc, for example, uh, seen, you know, flipped on its side l- looks like a, it's something round too, but it, it's actually a, a saucer shape. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it, the shape itself is, is not necessarily a great indicator of, of what actually was seen. And that's one of the big problems. Yeah. And it's, if you don't have a background in, I don't know, meteorology, be like, what is the study of kind of like the things in the lower atmosphere, like, you know, clouds and, and stuff that would naturally be seen in the sky? If you, if you don't know the language of, you know, that science, it's very hard as a layman to describe, you know, what you're seeing there. Um, I, I think as I'm reading this report, you're, you're kind of noticing the effects of that, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I've got one to throw at you. Um, posted to UFOs above Canada, um, Saturday night, 
which would have been hmm, June 18, 19th, something like that. Uh, around 1 a.m., seen what looked like a large white cloud in the night sky. Initially thought the moon was lighting it up, but it soon broke apart, leaving a large cloud different from all the others. And there was a moving light that went off with the other portion of the cloud. It seems like there's two things going on there. One is there's they're noticing a lit up cloud kind of, I don't know if dissipates the word, but just the way a cloud will naturally kind of flow and break into pieces or whatnot. They're noticing a lit up, a, a cloud that for some reason was illuminated that's doing that. And then separately in and amongst that, they're seeing some kind of bright light. But right. I, yeah. it, it, my first thought is like um, a bright light in the sky, like you know, yeah, maybe airplane or helicopter or something. But neither of those would emit the kind of light that would brighten up a cloud, I wouldn't expect. Yeah. And describing, you know, we were just talking about meteorology, you know, yeah, some you know large cloud that seemed to break apart and then left another cloud. Um, I mean, lenticular clouds are, are well known and they're, they're clouds that are lit up even though they're uh, high up in the atmosphere because they're, mm -hmm. the sun is shining on them that we don't realize because it's uh, dark out. I mean, it's possible that might have been effect, but, uh, you know, the fact that it looked like a cloud is an attempt to describe something that was a long, you know, discrete object of some sort. Mm -hmm. But I guess... Uh... It, it, let's say if you took this report and for whatever reason you're like, I'm going to study the hell out of this and try to figure out what happened. I, I suppose the next step would be an interview with the witness where you ask a whole bunch of clarifying questions as far as, you know, what direction they were looking, exactly what time of day, figure out what the weather is. Like, how, what would you do if you wanted to completely understand what, what they've seen? What would your next steps be? Well, I mean, it would be good to go out to where this happened. If the, you know, have the witness go with you to where this occurred and point out, oh, yeah, I saw it right above that tree and it moved over to there. Um, and then uh, we'd have to go, you know, look through some meteorological records, some star charts, you know, maybe go through flight aware. There's a lot of steps that would be involved with every single case. And, uh, you know, people may not realize the, the amount of, effort that it actually takes to investigate even just one case that mm -hmm. seems simple and yet in order to get enough information to decide anything uh you know may take a, a lot of time mm -hmm. and and it seems less and less frequently there are people that there are there there are less and less people who seem interested in investigating these individual cases even in in my experience like when i first really got into it which would have been 2015 2014 like kind of in that era there there were there were still a lot of civilian investigators and with MUFON or whoever else even here in Canada that would be interested in possibly investigating or researching like a, a one-off sighting like this but I, I don't even recall the last time I heard of kind of a civilian investigation into like a, a civilian reported so, yeah, and that's one of the big problems when we do the Canadian UFO survey, when we gather information uh, on cases from uh, various groups and whatnot, most are, are poorly, if, poorly investigated, if investigated at all. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, during the heyday, uh, there were dozens of UFO groups, and they had many dozens and dozens of members. And, you know, uh, 
people, even if they weren't trained very well mm -hmm. in investigating, at least they would go out and talk to the witness and get some information that might tape record them or, or something like that. And now it's so much easier just to browse the web and, you know, uh, find some uh, interesting videos that people may have posted on YouTube or uh, on TikTok or whatever, and, and just go from there. It's a lot less work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem that, like anything, um, ufology can be uh, a lot of work. It's the, uh, uh, you know, police work, for example, uh, the non-glamorous part of police work. There's not a lot of bang, bang, shoot em ups anymore, uh, but there sure is a lot of paperwork, a lot of interviewing, a lot of talking with witnesses, a lot of measuring and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, most people don't think of that when they, uh, uh, when they think about ufology. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's all the, uh, the, the gee whiz stuff, uh, the great videos and, and government investigations and cover-ups and so forth. But the fundamental basis, the foundation of all ufology are the UFO reports and if no one's investigating, we're not getting good data like that, that's a problem. I want to thank you for joining Chris Rutkowski and I for our discussion. But before we part, I'm going to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Chris for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. But the most important thanks, as always, goes out to everyone listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping this show alive is, and it has always been, an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed keep the show alive, It'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content regularly, and I maintain a full collection of back episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, go premium at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Rin, Duke, and Werewolf Kennels. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it with a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded UFO heads know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to share your UFO experience, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. I hope to hear from you. But until next time, take care of each other. Hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.